I'm Max Kreitzer, and you're listening to The Story Of. Growing up, I worshipped movies. There was a local video rental store in downtown Leavenworth called Home Video, and that was my mecca. Most of my childhood was spent begging my parents to take me there. They had a deal where you could rent five movies for five days for $5.55, and I wanted to watch every VHS tape in the store. I would make my way through each genre alphabetically. My parents even signed a card that said I was okay to rent rated our movies on my own to make all of our lives easier. It was my only form of ID until I was 16. There was only one place I loved more than home video, and that was the Landing Four Theaters. My cousin Christy worked there, and I knew what my life goal was. When I was 14, I saw an older man walk out of the manager's office after the Brendan Fraser film George of the Jungle had just let out. He was asking all the kids if they liked Tuki Tuki, who was a talking bird from the movie. I walked up to him. Can I have a job here? I asked. How old are you? He said, taking a puff of his cigarette. 14, I answered. Come back in two years, kid, and you got it. Two years later, on my birthday, I went to the theater at 7.30 a.m. and waited. Mr. Reeb, the man who I had spoken with two years before, walked up and unlocked the door to let me in around 10 a.m. He didn't remember me, but luckily my cousin Christy had worked there, and she vouched for me, and I had my first real job. But this isn't the story of my first job. This is the story of losing a friend. Working at the theater was more amazing than I imagined. First of all, you could eat all the popcorn you wanted and see as many movies as you wanted for free. We still had actual film projectors and the movies would come in these beautiful giant steel cans with things like Property of Warner Brothers or Paramount Pictures labeled on them. I quickly learned how to splice films together and thread them through the projector. It was like summer camp. Everyone who worked there was around my age and they were all cool guys and cute girls. I mean, not my cousin. I mean, she was good looking, but not to me because she was my cousin, but she didn't work at the same time I did anyways. Her friend did Lane and she was cute, but whatever, you get it. I'm not weird, you're weird. If you didn't know him, Reeb seemed intimidating. He was tall and thin, and he always had a scowl on his face and a cigarette in his mouth. I was intimidated by him at first. If I didn't start the popcorn at the right time, if I was late starting a film, he would growl and do it himself, and then he'd be like, did you even come to work today? But on the other hand, when people would shit in the urinals, he would grab a few cotton candy bags and handle it himself. Reeb's entire life was the Landing Four Theaters. He didn't have hobbies or hang out with anyone but us. In the beginning, he was there from open to close every hour of every day. He had brothers and sisters, but he didn't have much time to see them. Reeb didn't own the theater, he was just a manager. The owner would come by once a year, always around Christmas. The last year I saw the owner, Reeb's bonus consisted of a cheap plastic candy cane filled with generic candy. When he would show us the candy cane, none of us had the reaction he wanted. We marveled at the beauty and generosity of the great, all-knowing owner. Reeb was also the one-man marketing department. He loved writing ads about films in the local Leavenworth Times newspaper, and he was really good at it. The film companies would send you a packet with reviews and quotes and pictures, but oftentimes, Reeb would write his own. This was a pretty extraordinary feat, because the entire time I was there, I only saw him watch one film. His first draft of the review for the Jim Carrey film The Majestic had a line urging theatergoers not to laugh so much, because it would be hard for everyone to hear the film. Then I told him it wasn't a comedy. I explained the plot was about a guy who lost his memory and family and started a new one in a small town in a little theater. Reeb wrote a glowing review, taking out a full-page ad in Leavenworth Times. He said it was a film that defines family not as something you're born into, but by the people you surround yourself with. 
He even signed it himself, David J. Reeb. The film didn't do too well nationally, but our first show at 7 o'clock was sold out. I asked him a question about the movie, thinking he had actually watched it after we talked, and he just laughed and said, I didn't watch that shit. We had a phone line where people could call and get a recorded message with showtimes. He started letting us do them, and we would do elaborate skits about the movies before eventually saying the showtimes. We thought it was hilarious, but one morning, I listened to the messages people left before he got in. Every caller was complaining about how they had to listen to all that shit every time they wanted to just find out a showtime. I was horrified, and I played all the messages for Reeb. Then he played the eight-minute-long sketch comedy showtime tape that I'd played the night before without saying a word. When it was done, he looked up at me, and he just said, Fuck em. All of us who worked there were close to each other. We were best friends. We went to different schools, but we went to dances together, talked about life, crushed on each other, and grew up together. He found out Steven liked this girl from school, but he had never talked to her, so he had me call her and ask if she wanted a job there. We were close to Reeb too, but we got a lot closer when he got sick. Reeb smoked a lot. All day he smoked in his office from open to close. I thought his office was painted yellow, but we moved a poster one day and the wall behind it was bright white. There was a no smoking sign hanging on the wall that was yellow as well. It must have been put up ironically, but when Reeb found out he had lung cancer, we took it down. I guess it wasn't funny anymore. Reeb was a Vietnam veteran, and after his lung cancer diagnosis, the VA hospital in Leavenworth gave him copious amounts of liquid morphine. He had a hard time quitting smoking in the beginning, and sometimes he would take morphine and light a cigarette. His eyes would glaze over in his chair, and he would try to mumble to keep himself awake. The morphine killed his appetite. He couldn't shit or eat. He lost all his hair, and he had us go out in between movies to pick up anima kits. He always thought he would buy the theater one day, but the owner wouldn't sell it to him because he was sick. He still joked with us, but he got kind of depressed. He started talking to us about death, but he also started talking to us about life. He never talked about being in the war, but he said when he got back he was racist. If he saw an Asian walking down the street, he would walk the other way. It wasn't until he hired Eric that he realized how wrong he had been. Eric was biracial and he and Reeb were probably the closest. Don't ever let anyone tell you people can't change their hearts, he told me one night as we were counting money, and I never have. I came into work early one day to build films and I heard a movie going. I walked into the theater and the war memoir, We Were Soldiers, was playing with Mel Gibson. I turned on the lights and Reeb turned to me with red-rimmed eyes and he shouted, Turn him off! I did and I ran out of there. When he finally came out, I asked if he wanted to talk about it and he said, Yeah! And I was shocked because Reeb hardly ever would be serious with us. I started panicking. Maybe he saw it on my face because all he said was, when someone's watching a movie, don't turn on the fucking lights. That was the only film he ever watched. All of us often talked to him about our relationships, and he would listen and laugh and make pretty inappropriate comments, asking boob sizes and such, when we were trying to be serious. One night I asked him if there had ever been anyone for him. Once, he said. He opened his drawer and took out a dose of morphine. When you find the one you love, you'll know it. When you lose him, you'll know that too. Everyone will tell you to get over it. Maybe you're not supposed to get over it. Reeb believed in us and encouraged us in a way few people do with teenagers. He would let us practice music in between shows, and if we told him what we wanted to do in college or in life, he'd probably make fun of us at first, but then tell us that we could do it. Every 4th of July, he would tell us not to get on the goddamn roof and watch the goddamn fireworks, but when he left, he would make sure to leave the roof key out for us. 
He knew I loved films and always let us shoot our own movies at the theater. When I showed him one of the films we shot there, he said, Too bad I'm dying before I see any of your movies on these screens. That's not because you're dying, Reeb, I said. Yeah, it is, he grumbled, his eyes rolling back in his head from the morphine. No, it's because you can't show pornos here. He laughed. The fuck I can't. I don't think any of us thought he was going to die, not even when his throat stopped working and he would throw up gray gruel into the trash cans between shows, or when he stopped writing ads for the paper and just kept editing his obituary. Finally, his sisters came to take him to Iowa so they could take care of him. One of them was his sister, the other was her life partner, who he called his special sister. We all drove up to Waterloo, Iowa to see him in hospice. He couldn't talk or open his eyes. But if we made crude jokes, he would kind of mumble back to us. His teeth were in a jar next to him, and he kept reaching over to try to put them in. He died not long after our visit, and we all went back for his funeral. It was mostly all of us and his sisters and family at the service. Eric and Matt wrote a song that they played at the service. I don't remember all the words, but I remember the title was Thank You. I wrote a long speech that I wanted to read, but I couldn't. I threw it away as we sat down. I wish I hadn't. I don't think any of us really talked that much about his death. Maybe the girls did to each other, but none of the guys did. I remember my mom tried to ask me about it when I got back, but I just turned my head into the couch to hide my face. I do remember Heather, one of the girls that worked there and who Reeve always thought we should date, told me once a year later that she wasn't over it. I couldn't think of anything comforting to say. I don't think I said anything. I wish I had. This episode was brought to you by Pink Eye. That's right, because that's what you're going to get if you keep ordering your mattresses online because they come from a warehouse. You don't know what they do there. They could fart all over that thing. That's where you spend. You spend 50% of your life sleeping, and you're going to be sleeping on a sea of farts from a group of guys joking around, and their digital team is going to go on there, and they're going to be like, sir, there's no indication that you didn't fart in your own face. And give yourself pink eye. And then what do you do? You can't respond to that. Then you're, they got you. Because now you're the idiot. So brought to you by buy your beds in a store, the group dot org uh, slash Zanga, my Zanga.